electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, 500 million more doses of Pfizer's COVID vaccine heading around the world, donated by the U.S. We hear from Pfizer's leader, Albert Borla, exclusively. It was always in our minds that we need to have a vaccine that will be available to all. From gamer to CEO, how Discord's founder Jason Citron built the go-to app for gamers and nabbed a $15 billion valuation. Discord is not a social network. There's no news feed. Things don't go viral. We don't sell ads. You know, Discord is a communication service where you create a place that you come together with your friends to talk and hang out. Those stories plus averting a shutdown, watching Disney, Jamie Dimon on the Fed, and TV anchors, they're bookers too. We never have him here. Very hard to get him just to come on Squawk Box. Jamie, we're here for you, dude. It's Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021. It's first day of fall. I like it, but it's, I don't know, it's ominous. I know what's coming. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. News just out from Pfizer this morning. The company expanding its agreement with the United States government by providing an additional 500 million doses of its COVID vaccine for donation to low and lower middle income countries. It's going to donate those doses at a not for profit price. Now, that brings the total number of doses provided to the government for a donation to one billion expected to be delivered by September of next year. So we're talking about 2022. Delivery as part of that program began last month, and so far about 30 million doses have been donated to 22 countries. Just in the last week, there's a lot of things yep. about Pfizer specifically and other uh, J&J, other uh, manufacturers. In Washington, House Democrats passed a bill that would both prevent a government shutdown and suspend the debt limit all Republicans opposed it. The bill now heads to the Senate, where Republicans are threatening to block it. Senate Minority Leader Mitch mm-hmm. McConnell has said that Republicans would vote for a standalone funding bill, but not one with a debt limit suspension attached. And if the bill is blocked, it's unclear how Democrats would proceed uh, to uh, avoid a federal funding lapse or, or even a first-ever default uh, on U.S. debt. And what day did I say it was? I said it, uh, it was like 9-22-21, I think. Mm-hmm. Was it That's the right. 22nd today? I mean, it's supposed to be... T- it is. Mm-hmm. Nice weather right at the beginning. Crisp, not yep. humid. I like it, but it's, I don't know, it's ominous. It's just, it's just ominous. I know what's coming. But um, the 27th and 28th, we're supposed to do both those... We're supposed to spend about... Six trillion dollars between now and the end Not of the month. Not going to happen by the twenty seventh, I don't think. No, even the uh, infrastructure. But what bill. about the infrastructure bill? The I don't think it's progressive. Say they're not going to do it. They're going to block that. That's they're, the problem that they have. It's a huge issue. If the more moderates in the caucus get their way, the progressives aren't going to vote for it. And I don't know how Nancy Pelosi kind of wraps up both sides, or Chuck Schumer for that matter. Right. 
Shares of FedEx lower, earnings of $4.37 per share, missed estimates by $0.54, although revenue did beat the company, citing labor availability and higher expenses for wages and transportation in the quarter, Becky. I mean, it's been... Been quite something. Yeah, I mean, this was really interesting, and I, I think this sends a little bit of a shot across the bow because, look, they, they came in with lower-than-expected earnings. It was at the low end of their guidance. Analysts had started taking down their numbers on this, raising some concerns about it already, but they weren't taking their numbers down by near enough. And, and if it's the reason that's cited here, because it's hard to find employees because they have to pay a lot more for labor at this point, you know, th- those costs, FedEx itself said, aren't going to go away, at least not in the ner- near term. So you're talking about fourth quarter that could be very pressuring. And if this is something that you should read into other industries, I mean, this is one of the big issues for the markets. Will will you be able to hold on to, er- to the earnings expectations that, that have been out there on the street? If you disappoint on that, that would probably be the big thing that, that, that really puts pressure on stocks across the board. And you, you heard it not only at FedEx, but also with Disney yesterday, too. And that is a very nice segue, Becky, mm-hmm. to Mr. Kernan. Shares of Disney. Yeah, and uh, you know, <laughs> the pandemic helps, pandemic hurts. This is starting to remind me of, like, weather-related things when, when uh, a company <laughs> blames something. Um, the old excuse. Where Disney, the shares tumbled more than 4% yesterday after CEO Bob Chapek said that growth in the streaming service hit some headwinds related to the coronavirus. You would think people are back in their homes, they need more Disney streaming to, you know, watch cartoons and feel better about staying at home. He said Disney expects they had low, a single digit, uh, millions of, of streaming subscribers in the fourth quarter, and that's significantly lower than some estimates. Deutsche Bank expected net ads of 13 million uh, in the quarter. Speaking at a Goldman Sachs conference, JPEG cited uh, delays from the spread of the Delta variant. Delays in production because they don't have as much Suspension stuff. of the yeah. soccer league right. uh, in India. Yeah, problems in Latin America. So it's, you, you need to look very closely at it. You remember it was a couple of weeks ago. You guys saw uh, our parent, yeah, Comcast, Comcast. And, uh, at, at one of these uh, investment bank yep. conferences lowering, to some extent, I guess, I guess broadband ads based on same thing, yep. based, again, on, on the pandemic. And, and, you know, I was watching Comcast that day. You don't usually see Comcast go down 3 $4 no. <laughs> uh, in a day. It was a, Caught a, a lot a, of our attention. Yes, it um, did. But, but uh, again, this was because so much had been pulled forward by, by the pandemic, yeah, too. So. You know, they, right. anybody and everybody who wanted it were, were doing things like signing up for Disney Plus or any of the rest of these things. Um, yep. So I think any surprises from reopening and reclosing, reclosing I think, are right. no longer surprises. And the market's already sort of figured out where you know, a lot of these things are supposed to trade. Like, I don't know, Zoom. Does Zoom go up now with Delta? Does it go down now? Is there going to be more Zoom? There's always going to be Zoom, even always after be Zoom. Zoom is here to stay, don't you think? And then Uber yesterday, Andrew, your conversation with Dara, just going through Uber on all of those issues, you know, they were able to actually turn a profit faster than expected because of probably huge demand in terms of Uber Eats and things, too. Yeah, I don't think Dara liked when you said, how's your margins with that surge pricing? The surge is due, that's what you, you it wouldn't, the model doesn't work without surge pricing. There'd no, because no you can't there. find a driver. Right. Right. And, and he They're did, not doing that to, to, to can boost I tell you, though, their margins. But it's, and, it's a hefty. We, <laughs> no, but sometimes you've seen these prices are, are high. I mean, literally trying to get across town once cost me close to like $75. It was, in, it was insane. And I said to the Walk. I know, good idea, by the way, it was pouring rain. And I said to the driver, I actually said, 
I hope you're getting a big take on this. I said, you know, because I said, did he say he wasn't? Because of the 75 bucks, he said, you know, I think I'll probably get like 40 bucks. I thought that's not horrible. That's and, and but they're trying to balance it out. I mean, right. it's a longer conversation. And Dara and I, we've had this on, on the set. Are you impressed before. I was listening? I was very impressed you were listening. Yeah, <laughs> Can't surprise. Here, you were upstairs. <laughs> I have, you know, six papers I could. You read. have a lot to do. It's not only the first day of fall. It's also Fed Day today. Fed Chair Woo-hoo. Powell is going to be releasing a policy statement later today, along with economic and interest rate forecasts. That'll be at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, that will be followed by a new news conference that happens at 2.30. The Fed is expected to indicate that it's getting ready to announce that it will start paring back its $120 billion of monthly purchases of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. In the meantime, in an interview with CNBC TV 18 in India today, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon said the exact timeline isn't what matters. Obviously, if inflation is so high that the Fed has to do more traditional management of the economy, like jam on the brakes, pull out liquidity, then you're going to see a huge reaction. And I'm not predicting that, but it's possible they have to do that sometime next year. Remember, the Fed can't always be proactive. I mean, sometimes they're going to have to be reactive. We never have him here. He never. Where, where's Jamie right there? I can tell you exactly. Right? Oh, he's in his he's he's companies. Yeah, I know, but he was, yeah. he's on uh, India, CNBC India. Right. Very hard to get him just to come oh. on Squawk Box or to come here. He reminds me... Kind of like those actors, like Brad Pitt won't do some crappy commercial in this country, but over in Japan, they're all over the place. Remember Bill Murray in that? Uh, he yes. actually plays an actor that. <laughs> Who's doing it? And he, it's really funny. He's liquor selling ad. liquor. Yeah. Over, that reminds me of Jamie Diamond, who go on over there and talk so about the, the crappy Fed commercial Bitcoin. that he what? doesn't want to do. Jamie, yes, we're here for you, dude. But I mean, you, you are don't have to. Basically, in that analogy, we're the crappy commercial. Right. No, no. They. Oh, he won't do a crappy commercial. No, he, he won't wants do one to, here. He'll just move in there. Because it's, to, it's beneath the, the actors to do it's it here. lost in translation. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes. That was the movie. I know. But I'm saying your, your message is getting lost in translation. Maybe to you, but what isn't with you? Uh, especially at 6 a.m. But where is he? Then book him if you can get him on. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the Biden administration is purchasing 500 million more doses of Pfizer's COVID vaccine to distribute to countries in need. Pfizer's CEO on the U.S. as a global vaccine provider. I think it is uh, great news for humanity, and frankly, it is great news for us because uh, we are very proud that our vaccine will uh, save the lives of people around the world. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
This is Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. Some breaking news from Pfizer this morning. The company is expanding its agreement with the U.S. government. It will be providing an additional 500 million doses of its COVID vaccine for donation to low and lower middle income countries. Pfizer is going to be donating the doses at a not-for-profit price. Let's get right over to Meg Terrell. She has a special guest with us this morning. Meg. Becky, thanks. That special guest is Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer. Albert, thanks for being with us this morning. Let's start with the news of the day. Uh, these 500 million doses add to a previous agreement for the same number. They started shipping last month and will continue over the next year, we understand. Tell us about your expectation for what these agreements will do for the course of the pandemic. I think they will enable uh, way more equitable access to our vaccines. When we started the uh, MEG uh, uh, more than a year ago, in the beginning of the beginning of the, of the uh, pandemic, uh, it was always in our minds that we need to have a vaccine that will be available to all. And the first thing that we had to do was to develop the vaccine because now it's considered given, but 10 months ago, nobody thought that this could be done. The second was to manufacture enough so that everybody will have. And we are gearing up our manufacturing capacity with very admirable speed. Right now, at the end of the month, we will have manufactured $2 billion, 500 of which will be gone to the low- and middle-income countries. By the end of the quarter, $3 billion, 1 billion of which will go to the low- and middle-income countries. And the third was to set a price that uh, will enable everybody to access. As you know, the price for the high-income countries is the cost of a takeaway meal, and this price for the governance, because the citizens are paying nothing. But for the middle-income countries, we are charging half of this price. And the low-income countries, it is, uh, we are charging uh, basically a, a non-for-profit. The U.S. government is stepping once more. Uh, One billion doses will be donated to the poorest of the countries, not to the middle and low, to the poorest countries. And that will not be given to them at a non-for-profit price. It will be given free because U.S. is covering the cost. So I think it is uh, great news for humanity. And frankly, it is great news for us because uh, we are very proud that our vaccine will uh, save the lives of people around the world. How do you respond then to criticisms like from former CDC director, Dr. Tom Frieden, uh, who's been pointing out on Twitter over the last week uh, that he thinks this inequity uh, is, quote, shameful. Um, He says, while focusing on selling expensive vaccines to rich countries, Moderna and Pfizer are doing next to nothing to close the global gap in vaccine supply. How do you respond to criticisms like that? Well, I respond that already we have shipped 500 million doses to low and middle income countries that we will ship a billion doses by the end of this year, not in, uh, uh, in uh, the near future, by the end of this year. And we will do at least one billion doses uh, next year. And uh, I think uh, the facts are speaking for themselves. Is there more that Pfizer could do? There's also some focus on the infrastructure in developing countries. Um, and there's been criticisms of the Biden administration for delivering perhaps vaccines, but then not delivering the uh, sort of cold chain uh, functionality to be able to store and move those vaccines around or, or helping uh, get vaccinators to be able to help roll out these vaccines. Uh, what more do you think can be done to expedite all of this? Clearly, there's more that can be done in, uh, in terms of infrastructure in the poorest countries so that uh, they can absorb vaccines of this high technology that they need special conditions like uh, ultra cold chain, etc. I think this is something that WHO is doing. Uh, and uh, this is something that us ourselves, we are working very intensively to help. 
although it is not, let's say, our direct responsibility it is to provide the vaccine, but we are working also on the last mile, how we can assist so that they can uh, move eventually this vaccine to the citizens. And of course, here in the United States, we're all focused on boosters. Who's going to get their third shot and when? We're expecting an FDA decision on that today or tomorrow, and CDC will, will vote. How do you, um, in this position of deciding you know, where to take orders from and where to deliver things, respond to the pressures you get from the World Health Organization, which is saying people shouldn't get boosters until the end of the year, until more people have gotten their first doses? How do you weigh all those pressures coming in? Look, I think, first of all, that the decision to provide or not boosters should be made on the merits of the science. Uh, this is uh, not correct to say that I will not give boosters to one because I prefer to give a primary dose to someone else. The second is, as I said, that uh, we should not be an, uh, we should not resolve it with an or. We should resolve it with an end. Boosters should be given and other doses should be given to the other countries. And this is the meaning of this agreement that we are doing today to the United States. And uh, the third, I would say that uh, the doses for this year have been allocated long ago. Everybody has placed their orders, and with the first orders placed, first uh, deliveries are coming out. And uh, so that we will not change. Even if the boosters are approved, which I expect will be, uh, we will not give more to the countries that are approving boosters so that they can do the boosters. We will give the quantities to everyone that we have committed to give this year. And as I said, this year, we are going to do a billion doses to the low and middle income countries. Hey, Albert, on that point, just we know that the FDA panel that met last week voted no on the original question was that booster shots would be available for anyone ages 16 and up. They did vote yes on a more qualified picture, people ages 65 and up, people who have comorbidities and and people who are maybe exposed at, at, at work because of the jobs that they do. But that still leaves a big gap. If the FDA eventually goes through and approves the latter question, not the opening, they, on that first question, they said they didn't have enough science to prove it. The science that was put in front of them didn't prove that those ages 16 and up needed boosters. When will we see more science? What's the next step? Or are people just kind of left to fend for themselves at this point? Yeah, I think that uh, time will bring data because everybody's collecting data. And I'm sure that uh, pretty soon they will uh, have more data so that they can uh, reevaluate their recommendations. Uh, it is uh, clear from the data that we have seen that we supported the need to give broad recommendations. Uh, the majority of the committee clearly thought that uh, uh, this is not the right time for people to receive in earlier ages. So they, I, I guess they will expect to see when is the right time. But what I want to say is that in pandemic, typically, it's very difficult to come to the right time. You're coming either too early or too late. Albert, when you think about efficacy... There seems to be different definitions of efficacy in the United States versus Israel, and, and, and people are measuring it differently. In some cases, it's hospitalization and death. In others, it's simply infection up front. Do we have to redefine what efficacy really is and what it should be and, how, and what we're trying to avoid? I think science is to measure everything. So, and uh, we should be very clear when you speak about efficacy, if you refer to efficacy against severe disease, or if we, if we speak about efficacy in general on disease or in infections. And the data, for example, from Israel are coming from all three categories. It's not that they're coming only for mild infections. They had seen a drop in the protection against severe disease as well. Do you have um, a view on why it appears 
that the efficacy of, of, of the Pfizer vaccine seems to be lesser, at least at the moment, based on some of the numbers, than the, than the Moderna vaccine. It appears that in the case of Moderna, it has a higher efficacy or at least a more durable efficacy. Is that a function of the fact that it's that there's more of it, more vaccine actually that's put in the arm? Is it a function of the fact that uh, between the first and second dose, there's a longer uh, wait period, four weeks rather than three weeks? What do you or or is it simply the timing of what we've seen in the studies? A lot of people got Pfizer earlier. First of all, I think that it is the wrong thing to start comparing vaccines, particularly in public, and uh, I don't think uh, I would like to do it. But uh, nevertheless, given your, your question, I'm not convinced that one is better than the other or it lasts longer than the other because of the reasons that you just said, that uh, when those studies compare, they don't adjust from the time of the second dose. And also they don't adjust from the fact that uh, Pfizer was given way earlier to elder uh, high-risk people and uh, so we are comparing more months of uh, since the first dose from Pfizer and very uh, different uh, population. But again, I said that uh, both of them are wonderful vaccines. I don't want to make comparisons and those that they make comparisons, they are wrong. Albert, can you give us an update on where things stand for the vaccine approval, at least emergency use authorization for kids ages 5 to 11? We've heard a lot. The latest that we've gotten is maybe available by Halloween. But what does that actually mean? Does it really mean that our kids might actually get to the shots by then? Will it be fully distributed? Is it going to be hard to find this? Because I know you have to give different vial sizes. So as a result, it's kind of gearing up the entire process again, like we did at the beginning of the year. We are going to be ready once FDA approves uh, the vaccine, provided that they will approve it, uh, to be able to distribute it. And uh, I know that we will submit our data pretty soon. Uh, the data are very positive, but I cannot comment when FDA will approve it. This is absolutely up to them to take their time uh, to do their review and do the approval the time that they're comfortable if they approve it. And Albert, you actually got data, I think, a little earlier than people expected in that age group, 5 to 11. Um, what are you expecting in terms of younger kids, asking completely unbiased as a parent of a two-and-a-half-year-old? Meg, as you know, we are always coming ahead of people's expectations. So I hope that we will not disappoint them. <laughs> so uh, your CFO, Frank D'Amelio, had suggested perhaps you're about a month behind for younger children. Is that the timeline you're looking at for down to age two or down to age six months? Well, yeah, uh, that's one to two months, I would say, somewhere there. Okay. And just to go back to that booster discussion that, that Becky was talking about, were you surprised um, that the panel voted to narrow the recommendation for for whom who should get boosters here in the U.S. as we're seeing them given so broadly in Israel and even to everybody over the age of 50 in the U.K.? Yes, I was surprised. But, you know, this is uh, uh, not about me being surprised. This is about the committee, which is composed by renowned scientists. They have very high integrity. They have high uh, expertise, and uh, they came to this conclusion. Our scientists also have very high integrity, and they have very high expertise, and they came to different conclusions. Israel scientists, UK scientists, France or German scientists, also they have very high expertise. But this is um, uh, the role of committees. They have the responsibility to recommend, and then the administration has the, the responsibility to implement healthcare policies, but they are important. And, uh, you know, I think we should let the system... Uh, uh, work. 
With all of the countries that you just mentioned, is, is there one, Albert, that, that has been the easiest to work with or the, the most difficult to work with? And maybe the administration, maybe the bureaucracy that you deal with. What, what would you say? I would say that all the countries have stepped up and they are wonderful. And frankly, I had the opportunity because of that to, to connect personally with state leaders and with administration of many countries. And I understand uh, uh, their agony to do the best for their people. And they have to deal with very tough decisions. And sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. But they are all having the best of intentions. So I, I wouldn't uh, separate anyone on this. All right, Albert, uh, I think that's all the time we've got. We really appreciate you being with us this morning, and we look forward to all of these updates coming up. Thank you very much, Meg. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, the CEO of hot communication app Discord. Growing up, I played, like, more video games than you can probably have ever imagined. How Jason Citron built his love for gaming into a company valued at $15 billion. So what do your parents think now? Because I imagine that there was, there had to have been a point where they thought this was too much gaming going on. It's been a while since they've had that thought. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're watching this interview right now, and I think they're quite happy. <laughs> Games, chats, apps, billions. Right after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com designed for work. Canva. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Facebook Messenger, Instagram DMs, WhatsApp, Apple iMessage, Signal, Twitter, and now Discord. There is no shortage of ways to talk to people, find people these days, and apparently there's no shortage of funding either. Discord, a communication app that is currently sitting at number four in the Apple App Store, just bagged another $500 million in funding, bumping its private valuation up to $15 billion, and the company is just six years old. Andrew sat down on one end of Zoom this week. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Great. With Discord CEO Jason Citron. Should we talk about the origin story? Because it is an interesting story. It actually in some ways is reflective of the sort of almost like a slack or some others where you sort of go down one path and then you pivot. Yeah, when we started Discord, you know, we were very focused on creating a place for people who played games with their friends to talk and hang out, you know, like before, during and after their sessions. And and we always sort of had a hunch that it, it, maybe Discord would be useful for things that had, you know, other than playing games. And early on, started seeing a little bit of that around, like, you know, open source software development kind of projects. But it was only really in the last two years, kind of starting in 2019, that we really started seeing people use Discord for, for more than gaming. And it's just accelerated so dramatically over the last year and a half. And, you know, now we have over 150 million people a month that come to Discord to, you know, study homework or you know, um, participate in, in communities that they, that they love around topics they're passionate about or um, just hang out with their friends and, you know, just do things together online. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So of that 150 million users, what percent today do you think are, are using it for gaming? And then how do you tear out the, the sort of the, the other use cases right now? Yeah. You know, the beautiful thing about our business is that we take 
know, privacy very seriously. So the answer to this question is actually based on surveying people and asking them like, hey, what, you know, what are you using Discord for? And what we hear back is that we think around 80% of people who use Discord today use it for gaming and non-gaming things equally. So it's a pretty, you know, uh, su large supermajority of our user base is coming to us um, to just hang out and spend time with people that they care about around things that they love doing. And so now you have this new pile of cash. What, what are you planning to do with it? Yeah. So we, we fortunately were able to raise a round of money recently. And, you know, the, the, the focus of the round is to be able to give us the ability to continue to invest in making just the best community app and services that we can that we can bring to market for people, you know, from things like um, improving, you know, um, our ability to keep people safe, you know, through an acquisition we made re recently of a, of a company called Centropy, to you know, amazing, cool new features that allow people to organize how they communicate, like um, threads, which allows you to have like branching conversations if you're in a group of people, um, all the way to continuing to invest in our Nitro subscription service, which is how we make money. And, and continue to create more value for people through that. How key do you think the issue of privacy is to the, the use case and, and to the, the business and the way your, your customers or your users think about the company? We think privacy is, is fundamental. You know, from the day that we um, brought Discord to market, privacy and safety were built into the foundations of how the product works. You know, every conversation on Discord is opt-in. You choose to join a community um, or add someone as a friend. You can, um, you know, block people if you'd like. You can leave those 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 spaces. And we also give, um, you know, community owners and community moderators lots of tools so that they can enforce rules and norms in their space and maintain our community guidelines. You know, we believe that people want to have, um, you know, safe environments where they can be themselves, relax, hang out with their friends. And a big part of that is feeling like, um, it's your space, you have your privacy, um, and, and it's safe. How much um, has all of the, the issues that have confronted Facebook, do you think, been a benefit to Discord? I think that, you know, the scale of the problems that they're operating on are substantially larger than ours. They're also different. You know, we are not a social network. I think it's important to, to, to understand, you know, for those of you out there who are, maybe aren't exactly sure what Discord is, you know, Discord is not a social network. There's no news feed. Things don't go viral. Um, we don't sell ads. You know, Discord is a is a is a communication service where you create a place that you come together with your friends to talk and hang out. And I think the nature of of the of the way that people use the services is quite different. And I do think that there's a general reaction to um, social media and to these ad powered business models where people are starting to realize like maybe this stuff isn't so great for us. Um, so, you know, our focus on building a business is very much about creating value add services for people that where we make something great and we sell it to our customers and they buy it. And, you know, that's how we make money off of our, off our Nitro service. And I, I do think that there's um, a growing understanding and awareness that that advertising models um, can have unintended side effects that it's definitely shaping how people think about what services they choose to use. When you look at the, the sort of the demographic uh strata on discord what's it look like right now it does skew younger um you know and again we get this information through surveys um but you know people who are, are the majority of our user base is like in the 13 to 30 range but it is a quite quite a big range you know i'm i'm people like me are active users i'm in my mid-30s 
um, it really skews more towards how people use technology and how much time they spend on their on their phones and their computers doing things with people right now. And that does tend to skew younger. Right. And, and therefore, how do you think about safety and content moderation and the like? Yeah, well, again, so Discord does not have a news feed and things can't go viral. So the nature of how, uh, you know, content, if you will, uh, you know, gets shared on our on, on Discord is quite different. You know, you'll be in in a, in a space. Think of it almost like a, you know, a group chat with, you know, with 10 or 20 people is the most common way that people are, are engaging with Discord. And so, you know, in those kind of small spaces, like we leave it to, to people to decide, you know, what um, is acceptable, you know, in their space, you know, in the context of our community guidelines. If people encounter right. content that, you know, let's say the moderators in a space aren't deleting or is, is violating our guidelines, like we do have a trust and safety team, full-time employees that people can escalate issues to. And because Discord is um, is not end-to-end encrypted, although we don't proactively read people's messages, if people forward messages to our, you know, or report content to our trust and safety team, we will go investigate and we will action communities that are violating our guidelines. I was very curious uh, about how you're thinking about Apple these days. And, and I, I say that because uh, Discord, I believe now, is ranked number four on the App Store. Um, and given the ruling uh, related to Epic, I, I'm curious, what was your reaction to that? <laughs> well, I think that um, it's been a very interesting uh, uh, situation to follow you know, in the market. Um, my, our take is that the App Store has been a phenomenal boon to um, to the world. You know, like companies like ours get to come to market and and start selling services in a way that consumers have been um, you know trained to understand is safe. You know, when I go and 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 that they can um, you know know that when they spend money, like if something goes wrong, Apple will be there to help make sure that they get you know, they can get your money back, right? And actually, that's like a big right. a big big benefit. On the flip side, though, I do think that um, it's interesting to see how this conversation around what margin is acceptable is evolving. Because when you do have a fixed thirty percent margin on every transaction that takes place, you know, there, some businesses just have less flexibility to innovate and to bring services to market. You know, for us, it's fine. Right. But I think about you know a lot of folks thinking about like the creator economy and how much and how because of the way that the App Store payment stack works, it makes it challenging for you know, companies to offer monetization support for independent businesses and creators because of that 30% margin. So it'll be interesting to see as it changes if um, what sort of new innovation and flexibility gets unlocked in the marketplace. Two other quick questions. Uh, one related to cybersecurity and just how much of a threat you think that is right now and how much money you are spending and energy and resources you're having to, to use when it comes to cybersecurity on Discord. Yeah, security is is critical to, um, to a service like Discord. You know, people want to feel like their messages and their content is safe. And um, we have invested in in security proactively from like the first day we stood up our first web server, and we continue to um, have a, a, a pervasive focus on security in our engineering team. Um, I, I don't have the specific breakout of how much money we spend, but it's like a fundamental thing that our engineering and infrastructure teams um, focus on for sure. Okay. And my final question is a news you can use question for those of us who are parents who have kids who love to play games. And I know you're a gamer. What do you think is a fair amount of time for a child, let's say, in their, I don't know, 10, 12, in their teens? Are you a parent yet? 
I have a very young young kid, but he's not playing playing video games yet. He's two. <laughs> are, you, are you are you thinking about screen time though? That's going to be an issue for you. We we do think about screen time, um, and he does get to watch um, some some Disney movies and some YouTube Kids and and home videos. You know that we take that he, he loves watching himself you know, run around the house. <laughs> and I. I imagine you don't want to weigh in on the, on the new rules in China because they're, they're making the parents' rules for us. I, I think that it's, it's good for everyone to think about, um, you know, their children and how they're doing and what the priorities are in, 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 in each child's life and how much time to, to allocate to these things. I mean, I'm probably not the best person to ask. You know, growing up, I played, like, more video games than you can probably ever imagine. And, you know, you, you know, you asked me how much time people should spend my, I was going to say like 500 hours a week, but, you know, clearly for me, I ended up channeling it into something productive and, you know, became a software engineer and I'm now, you know, running this company. So I, I think that video games today actually can really help people learn a lot of great skills, you know, especially online video games where right. you have to learn about cooperation and being a good, you know, a, a good sports, you know, good sportsman or sportswoman and leadership and, and trial and error and failure. And there's actually a lot of great, fantastic um, life right. lessons that get taught in the microcosm of playing online video games. So what do your parents think now? Because I imagine that <laughs> there was, there had to have been a point where they thought this was too much gaming going on. It, it's been a while since they've had that thought. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're watching this interview right now and I think they're quite happy. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you doing this. And again, it's, it's a marvel to watch your success. So thank you. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for checking out this podcast. And hey, share it with a friend. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Listen to Squawk Pod anytime on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you pick. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.